going to be in Luke 23, beginning in verse 44, uh, as it was just uh, read, and uh, we'll, we'll get going here. I want to ask if, if you feel like you, you have a passion for Jesus, whether you feel, whether there's a sense of, of a passion for who he is, for what he's done, if you have, if you have any sense of like... Um, deep conviction over that, whether you, whether you have a sense of, of just something that's drawing you in, not just kind of your mind, but uh, your physicality, your, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your body. Uh, is, is there a sense that you have a passion for Jesus? Here at Outward Church, you know, we have our core values, which are uh, found in the statements, love Jesus and live outward. Um, but we have another thing that we talk about, especially when we're walking through membership and uh, our basic and essentials and um, all of these different um, conversations that we have with the church, and, and it's called our voice. We have our, our core values, but then we have our voice, and our voice is basically like, what's it sound like to be outward? What is it, how are we expressing the, the, the values uh, of outward church. And so we, we say we, we are passionate, we are crafted, and we are disruptive. So passionate is what I'm kind of talking about today. But then we have this uh, crafted, which is this idea of like, we want to we, we wanna actually put time into like, what is, uh, what, what, do our, what does the church look like? And what does the setting look like? And what do our groups look like? And, and how are we speaking to this generation? And this disruptive idea of like we want to, we're doing things differently. People come and they say, "What's with the loud music?" And we say, "Well, we're disruptive. That, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Like, there's lots of churches playing soft music. If you want to find soft music, there's so many options. Uh, but we we love to play passionately, and oftentimes that means volume. But what's your volume like when it comes to Jesus? What's your volume? Uh, like, what's your spiritual temperature? What does that look like for you? I mean, many of the people that I know that are deeply passionate about Jesus are people that I, I just go, man, I want that for myself. I, 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 I desire that. They encourage me uh, to be that and to be that way about Jesus. But like, there's this there's this category of, of Christian that's just like, I, I go to church and I do, and I do the church things, but, like, but in large part, many of us are just disengaged, disengaged from the life of the church, disengaged from the ministry of the church, disengaged from the people of the church, God's people, which are his church. Uh, we're disengaged because there just isn't this drawing passion into us. It's like we've accepted a series of, uh, into, uh, series of, of beliefs about Jesus, and yet there has not been this wholehearted, full-throated, uh, entire life acceptance and grasp of Jesus. Do you have a passion for him? And I obviously want you to have that. I want that for myself to continue because I can become dead. And I, and I go through seasons in life. I go up and down at, at different stages. One of the things that encourages me and my passion for Jesus is music. I'm, I'm very, I was the worship leader when we started the church. 
Uh, I, I submit songs to uh, Ryan and, and he looks at them, our worship pastor, and because music is a big part of, of what draws me to Jesus in part. It, it, it involves my emotions, it gets my heart racing. What is it that causes you to have your heart race and your affections stirred for Jesus? Man, are your affections for Jesus stirred? When are they stirred? How are they stirred? Man, Jonathan Edwards um, talks a lot about this, about these religious affections. And it's, it's something that drew me in as a young pastor to, to engage my mind in a way that, that brings about this, this ideology that drives me towards, towards passion. I've spent uh, most of this week just really contemplating this, this passage. And it is a story. We talk about the gospel all the time. It's a, it's a story about the gospel. It's the end of the life of Jesus and how people responded. And I look at it and I go, man, this is, yeah, this is what happened. Now, what does it mean? Now, what does it mean? Now, what does it mean? And I, 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 can, I can know everything about this passage and yet at, and on some level it's still like, but how do I get them to care? Like, what's the why? Like, what, why should you care about what this passage says? And I think it's this. It says in verse 47, when the centurion saw what had taken place. It says in verse 48, when they saw what had taken place. It says in verse 49, that these acquaintances stood at a distance watching these things. In essence, they were looking at what had taken place. Have you looked at what has taken place here? And, ha and have you responded to it? Have you, have, you looked, have you looked at this? Because this is the centrality. It's the literal crux. Crux means cross. It's the cross. It's X marks the spot or cross marks the spot. Like this is it. This is the centrality of what drives us. It's, it is the thing that causes us to go, man, this is... This is what's bringing about passion. This is what's bringing about uh, this, this vision. It's what's bringing about this full-bodied response to Jesus. These people saw what had taken place, and there was a physical, emotional response. Have you had a physical, emotional response to Jesus? Look at the first verse with me. It was now about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., while the sun's light failed. Someone flipped the switch. This whole thing is coming to an end. Now set the scene here for a second. Remember back here uh, a little bit what's been taking place. There are all of these people. There's Roman soldiers. There's townspeople, there's religious rulers, there's people that are all standing around Jesus. 
They're all, they're, they're all stand, they're, they're sitting here seeing him on the cross. There's the two criminals on either side. Uh, maybe they're hearing what Jesus is saying during this and they're sitting there, they're jeering, they're mocking. They're all of, all of this stuff is going on. There is a massive, massive commotion. And then all of a sudden the lights go out. I don't know if you remember the eclipse that happened a little while ago. Some people erroneously say that there was an eclipse during this, but that couldn't happen because this was a full moon. Why? Because the Passover, this is during Passover, uh, the Passover is not held uh, at any other time. It's held during the full moon. In fact, it follows that, is what I'm told. So that, that couldn't be the case. But do you remember uh, the eclipse? I mean, we were like, this is like one of the best places in the world to watch the uh, recent eclipse, however many years ago that was. But I remember sitting there, I w we were standing out in front of my house, and all of a sudden, it, it's like the lights went out. It was like nighttime. It was, it was like everything went dark. And what I, what I remember feeling was, I cannot believe how cold it just got. It, it just got cold. All of a sudden, just the sun was gone, and all of a sudden, it just got cool. And I'm sitting there going, this is so eerie. Can you imagine standing there with these people, and all of a sudden, the lights go out. People are sitting there jeering, saying, if you're really God, then save yourself. Yeah, yeah, just save yourself. Like, yeah, king of the Jews, yeah, right, yeah. What, what happened? What just took place? Like it just got real dark, real fast. All of a sudden, everything is kind of cold and everything got really eerie all of a sudden. And not just that, but in Matthew's, I'm sorry, in Mark's gospel, it says, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. I am reading the wrong passage. Which verse am I looking for? Nope. I'm looking for, oh, there we go. Matthew 27, I'm in the wrong section. Matthew 27, verse 51, there we go. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. So the lights go out, the ground begins to shake, like you can hear rocks cracking in the background. Like the, the whole place is kind of shaking like this, the lights are off, it's like what would be going through your mind? What's taking place? <sighs> Creation is weeping. Creation is weeping right here. It says in John 1, it says that all things were made through him. Creation is going, our creator is passing away. It's bowing the knee. It's responding. It's, it's, it's responding in remorse. It's responding. It's, it's, it, it is this moment where it's just like, oh my goodness, what is taking place? Creation responds to Jesus. The rocks cry out as they break in half. Everything is shaking. It's this massive moment. And there's this darkness that comes over the world as Jesus is about to pass away. 
And then it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. What's the curtain of the, uh, of the temple? Well, if you're, if you're familiar with church, you might know that inside of the, the temple, previous to Jesus, God's people had a temple. This is the way that God set it up. This is the way that he wanted it. Inside of that temple was a really way back area where only the high priest could go. There was a curtain in front of it. That high priest could go into that place once a year. And before that, he had to make sure that he had the right sacrifices, that he had the right blood, like he had, he had made a sacrifice for his un, unintentional sins, for the unintentional sins of, of Israel, not just the known stuff, but the stuff you don't even know about. Like before you walk into the presence of God, it can't just be, yeah, that's right, I slapped someone, or whatever it is that you did, you, and you, I better do a sacrifice for that. Uh, God's like, no, before you enter into my presence, like what it has to happen is this, is that there must be blood shed for everything, intentional, unintentional, known, unknown, everything, and that once a year. And then we're told that uh, the priest, when he, when he went in, he'd tie a rope, they'd tie a rope around his leg in case he, he didn't have the right sacrifices, in case he just keeled over and died, had a heart attack or whatever, no one could go in there and get him. They'd just pull him, pull him out with a rope. But what happened is that when Jesus is dying on the cross, the lights go out, the earth shakes, and the, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And what does that mean? Well, it talks about in Hebrews how Jesus has walked in with the, the right sacrifice. He who is innocent, who is pure, who doesn't even, even need to make a sacrifice. He himself is sacrificed and he brings his own blood into that holy of holies. And he completely wipes out the need for a high priest to go uh, before us. He becomes the high priest. He becomes the one who once and for all tears open the presence of God and opens it up to all of us so that the presence of God is available to God's people at any moment, at any place, in any time, the presence of God is right here and it's right now and it's in you and it's a part of you if you know him. But think about how amazing that is. Think about how like creation is rocking and it's breaking and it's dark. And the, the, the curtain temple, uh, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. The presence of God is made available. And now you can be in the midst of the presence of God. You don't need me to go through into the Holy of Holies. Jesus has done that for you, and you get to have the presence of God in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Men and women, this is good news for dead Christians. It's not just good news, it is news that brings us to a place of, oh man, this is amazing. This is amazing that I get to have this kind of relationship with this God, with my God. He has done this for you. 
There's no more temples, altars, sacrifices, or priests. For all had now been fulfilled in the finished work of the Son of God, says Warren Wearsby. Now we just have uninhibited access to him. Verse 46 says, Then Jesus calling with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. This is a solemn, solemn moment. It's a solemn moment because God dies. The Son of God is offered up by God the Father. He willingly submits to the Father's plan by his own will. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I do it of my own accord. Jesus willingly goes to the cross. He willingly passes. And he quotes this Psalm, Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. The rest of that Psalm says, you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus is quoting a psalm. He attributes it to his father. He's on the cross. He's, he, he's about to breathe his last. And his last words are words of faith. They are, they are words of trust. They're words of hope. I don't know ab about you, but you put me through enough turmoil you put me through enough grief, and I'll break. I think I might break at that moment. God, what in the world would you, would you allow this for? What in the world, why would you do this? How does this benefit you, your kingdom? How would you allow this? Think you can look at what's happening in Ukraine. God, how could you allow this? That happened to something that you were abused as a kid. How could you allow this? The economy's falling apart. Gas prices are going through the roof. God, how could you allow this? Well, Jesus, in, the, in his most difficult moment, the most painful moment that most of us will never even come close to, dies with a cry of faith, says Daryl Bach. He dies with a cry of faith. He's asserting his faith in the Father. And he, he's sitting there and he's, and he's just, he's, he's just, it's, it's not that he's okay with the pain, like he's experiencing pain, but what, what he's doing is he's saying, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And what do people think around him? Well, that's what Luke wants you to see. Luke wants you to see this in verse 47. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God 
saying, certainly this man was in innocent. The, the, one of the things that, that happens here is that he's, he's sitting there, most likely jeering with the rest of the crowd. He, he, may, he may have been walking with Jesus all the way through town, back and forth, as they take him to the hill, or they're, they're going to crucify him. And who knows what his thoughts are as he's doing that, but more than likely, this is just another person who's being crucified. It's, it's a little bit unusual because the Jews are screaming that one of their own would be crucified. That's a little different. But other than that, he's, he's sitting there and he's hearing the jeers. He might even be saying them. If you're really God, then take yourself off of this cross. Save yourself. If that's really who you are. I mean, that's the question. That's what was happening is that if you're really him, then you should be able to do something about this. And this guy seeing all of it, the lights go off, the ground shakes. I don't know if he knew about the temple curtain being torn in two, but all of this stuff is happening. The mood has changed. It just got cold. And he goes, oh my gosh. We just killed the son of God. I made a huge mistake. I was a part of it. And I don't think it was, certainly this man was innocent. I think it was, certainly this man was innocent. In fact, Matthew 27 says, when uh, 27 verse 54 says, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, so it's not just the centurion, but it's the other centurions who are standing around. There's like a battalion of dudes standing there. They're guarding, they're making sure that no one tries to save Jesus. They're sitting there, they're keeping watch over Jesus. When they saw the earthquake, when they saw what took place, they were filled with awe. I mean, put yourself at the, at the feet of Jesus. Put yourself at the base of the cross, at the foot of the cross. And, and think through that moment of, I just, I just presided over the death of the Son of God. They were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. He didn't just say, certainly he was innocent, they collectively said, we just killed God. And I, I would imagine that it was, it was not just, oh, I guess he is who he said he was. I would imagine that there, was, that there is this convulsing, that there is this physical response to, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just took part of killing this guy. I can't believe I just presided over this. I can't believe, dude, I'm just as much at fault with everyone else. Oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? I just killed God. Like creation just responded. The rocks cried out 
because this guy was just put to death. There's no mistaking it. There's no looking around it. There's no setting it aside. That's what happened. That's what I did. What else do they hear from Jesus? Maybe they're sitting there and they hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It should have piqued their interest at that point. He's forgiving people while they're mocking him, spitting on him, cursing him. It should have been a clue when Jesus says to the guy who had been mocking him, the other criminal who is, no longer is mocking him, when he says, today you will be with me in paradise. The kindness, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy. It, should, it maybe should have been a clue when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When, he, when, he, when he's sitting there on the cross, he feels forsaken by God. He experienced that. His father. It should have been a clue when Jesus says probably to John, woman, or I'm sorry, to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, behold your mother as he's caring about other people. I wonder what, what they... What they thought, as they th thought back through it, like here is, if this is God and yet he's thirsty, originally they were thinking, does God get thirsty? Does God need a drink? I don't think so. But here's Jesus. He's feeling real pain, real suffering, real thirst. Maybe it should have been a clue when Jesus says, it is finished. Jesus is saying, I've finished my work. This is what I came to do. And then he quietly says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The lights go off, the rocks shake, the curtain tears. And all of a sudden, all of these people are brought to a place of deep grief when they see what has taken place. They have killed not just an innocent man, but they have killed the Son of God. Verse 48, and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. So there's a crowd here. They also realize what is happening here. Luke over and over again throughout this passage has asserted the innocence of Jesus, that he's completely innocent, that he is without sin. Person after person, politicians, centurions, People all of a sudden realize that we killed God. And their response is, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I done? I, oh no, oh no. I was, I was sitting there, I was, I was shouting at him. 
I was yelling at him. And they're, they're going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. A few days later, Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. This is after Jesus ascends to heaven. It's after his resurrection. And he stands up in front of these people. And he proclaims boldly in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You killed God. Like the one that you've been waiting for. The Messiah, the Christ, the one that, that you've been talking about, that the scriptures speak about that one. He came, he took on flesh, he felt pain, and he was here to save you, and you put him to death. You crucified him. Their response was this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they go, oh my, what's, how should I respond then? What, what should I do if I killed God what should I do about it? What should I say? And Peter tells them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What, what will happen? You rejected God. You didn't want God. You didn't feel like you needed God. And what, what he's saying now is he's saying, but if you repent, if you repent and come to Jesus, he's going to give you God. How do I get God? I get God by acknowledging that I killed God. How do I get relationship with God? I, I get it by, by acknowledging that my sin put him on that cross. What's, see, Luke wants you to see that these, these people went back home and they were beating their breasts saying, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? The other place in Luke where it talks about somebody beating their breast is, is Luke 18. Remember the, the tax collector and the publican? The publican comes in before God, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people. I thank you that I, I don't do this and I don't do that and I'm, I'm a pretty good person and all of that. The tax collector comes in and just goes, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He just knows that he's broken. He knows that there's something wrong. He knows that he killed God. And Jesus says, I tell you, that guy went down to his house forgiven. The other guy did not. See, when you come to God and you don't see that your sin, that my sin, put him there on that cross, 
that I would have been with those people saying, if you really are the Messiah, if you really are the king of the Jews, then take yourself down, save yourself, until you see that you and I were that person, were those people. You can't come ask God for mercy with passion. See, the passion doesn't come from saying, you know what, Pastor Matt says, I gotta be passionate. Like if I'm gonna love Jesus, then I gotta be passionate about this. No, passion comes from a gospel-driven understanding of where I could be in relation to my sin and and the fact that I killed the Son of God, the innocent one, that I have relationship with him, that I can enter into the presence of God. In fact, the presence of God is in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my requests for mercy never go unanswered. Jesus says, that is why I came. Do you have a passion for Jesus? Because you could, you could sit here and you could say, you know, Pastor Matt, like I, I, I want a passion for Jesus. But if you just want a passion for Jesus and, and that's where it stays, that nothing takes place. Man, I wish I had that. I wish I, I wish I could get there. But like the way that the human mind works is that like new information has to come in. The new information for these people to take them from being totally against Jesus to totally convicted and perhaps even saved by Jesus. The difference was there's new information. The ground shook, the rocks broke, the lights went out and the curtain in the temple was torn and I see Jesus on this cross in all of his mercy and I see myself as one of those people and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm acknowledging that. Do you know how many people have left our church at times because they get tired of hearing that story? I mean, I, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but, but we'll just keep it between us and everybody on the internet right now. But like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that, that, that I'm sinful. If you don't get the sin factor, if you don't get the fact that you need mercy, If you don't hear that, then you cannot go to Jesus with passion and plead for mercy. It can't happen. Let's go to the Lord's table and beg for mercy. Let let me... Just say a couple of things. We are setting up our church. We continue to clarify the vision. We continue to, to add things that we believe will draw people to this place. By offering things like basic essentials, equip, and stuff like that. If we continue to do the same things, and we're dead in our faith. If you have any desire 
And if, if, if you sit there and you, you just go, I don't have this passion, I feel guilty, dude, <laughs> beg for mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then take steps of growth. Don't just sit on the sidelines. We're not just trying to add people. We're trying to make disciples. We're not trying to get people just to sit in seats. We want to see people flourish in Christ. We want to see people engage with him. Don't just sit there. Worship him with your life. Don't just act like you're just a, a Christian, but ask God for passion. Look at his word. Let's go to the Lord's table here. Now, would you bow your heads with me? Would you take a moment? Let's just walk through all the guilty feelings right now. I don't know what your thoughts are, but it might be, man, Pastor Matt's really going after us this morning. I really haven't done enough. The truth is you can't, and I can't do enough. Jesus has done it. Maybe you're saying, I, I think I have some of that passion or I had it and I want it back. And Jesus desires that for you. The gospel writer Luke is saying to you, what do you think about Jesus? Or did you just come to God for a moral life? Did you just come to God for just a little bit of a little bit of friendship, a little bit of a beat message. Jesus wants you to know that he went to the cross even for the sin, the sin of complacency. Jesus went to the cross even for the lack of passion. Jesus went to the cross for the lack of connection with him, for the disengagement. Jesus went to the cross, he paid for that sin. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of that. He says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I pray for us. That we would see you and respond with passion. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to do the things of passion because you've forgiven us. We ask this in your name. Amen.
Can I just say one more thing to you guys? We put together this thing called Equip. Many of our community groups are becoming Equip groups, and we're doing that to take dead Christians and make alive Christians. I want to invite you to be a part of it, to stick with it, and, uh, and to engage. We want everybody in the church to go through Equip, and we believe that it would be an awesome thing for every single one of you, not to earn your salvation, but to grow in how you are passionate towards Him. Let's worship together.